I can't remember much during the Super Bowl. I mean, I don't think ever in my life maybe I'd ever been so in the moment of something. Obviously, there's a ton of pressure. I didn't think about playing in the Super Bowl. I was pretty sure it was going to be my last game. I mean, the lights went out. It was that way. <laughs> What's something about playing on the offensive line that the casual observer wouldn't understand? You eat basically whatever you want. We got the best wives. I mean, if, if you want a lot of attention and accolades, offensive line probably isn't for you. Are you willing to put the Chiefs in the Patriots conversation at this point in time? All right, everyone, welcome back to the Loopcast. And for Super Bowl week, we thought the best thing we could do is bring on a Super Bowl champion. Today, I'm talking to Matt Burke. Uh, he won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. Many of you will remember it's a game where the lights went out uh, or the hardball. Uh, but Matt, thank you so much. I know this is a busy week for you as a Super Bowl champion. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm a, I'm a proud looper. <laughs> Good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah, I know. It's, it's always cool talking to, especially Catholics on Super Bowl uh, week and I think people really appreciate this, but I mean, I have to start, you know, you're from Minnesota, you go out to Harvard, you go out to the East Coast and you get to come back home to Minnesota. What was it like uh, being drafted to your hometown team? I know you're calling in from Minnesota as well. What was that like for you? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the, that's the dream, right? Uh, well, the dream is to play like quarterback for your TV you grew up for. I wasn't any good, so I was a lineman, but um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, my, my whole football journey is pretty improbable. I didn't start playing football until high school and you know, found my way to Harvard, which isn't exactly a football factory, but then they come out and, and the Vikings even told me before the draft, I worked out for them and they said, you know, we're not going to draft the linemen. You're probably going to get drafted. And so when I got the call on draft day that they were going to take me in the sixth round, it was just kind of surreal. And then, you know, got to play 11 years for my hometown team uh, before I went to Baltimore. And yeah, it's just, uh, it's just very, very blessed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, were you sad watching the Ravens lose to the Chiefs or I was like sad I mean I you know we're still big Ravens fans in my house John Harbaugh I played for him he's a great great guy great Catholic man um yeah I just love him and that whole organization's quality from top to bottom and they just had such a yeah it's such a great year and looked like this was this was this was the time that they were going to take that next step and they just got kind of throttled by the Chiefs which was very disappointing on on a lot of levels, but it's like my wife said, you know, after the game, we were, we were all, we watched it as a, as a family and we we're, we we're pretty obsessed, especially my boys. Cause they're diehard Ravens <laughs> family. Some of them were born in Baltimore and they were pretty upset. And my wife was like, Hey guys, we don't, we don't have any real problems. It's, it's <laughs> just a football game, but it's, it's hard to remember that sometimes we were pretty yeah. much. There's something poetic about having us talk as a Lions fan, myself and a Ravens fan, like oh, you yeah. guys talking about the Super Bowl, which both of our teams came just a little bit short. Um, yeah. But Matt, so much in that. Take me back. You said you just started playing football in high school, and I'd imagine most people don't get in football to be a lineman. How did you get to that position and decide, and then even decide to play in high school? Well, I mean, I loved sports growing up. It was just a big part of what I did, and I'm glad that I grew up when I did because, you know, back then it was just more about just playing. It wasn't there wasn't all this travel and club stuff and. And it, it wasn't so intense, you know, you just, you just play just to play, to have fun. It seemed like things were a little bit more sane back then when it came to, to use sports. So I played everything, but I wasn't that good at anything, which didn't matter. It was fine. Um, but then I got to high school and I played everything except football. So I was like, well, 
maybe I'll give football a try. And of course I didn't want to be a lineman. I thought I'd be like a tight end or, or something. But, uh, the first day they're like, no, you're, you're a lineman. Um, but it was something that I was just, you know, kind of actually good at, you know, I was good at getting in people's way and grabbing onto them. And, and, uh, and I really liked, um, lifting weights, which is what I started doing in high school. I liked lifting heavy things and eating a lot of food and just got bigger and, and stronger. And, uh, you know, it was good enough to, I never, I never thought I'd play at past high school. I played my last high school game. I thought that was it, but got recruited by some smaller schools, Harvard being one of them. And so I went there because thought it was great. I'll get to play football and get a, get a good education. And then, yeah, never thought I'd play past college. And then I played 15 years in the NFL. So, right. God's, God's got a plan, um, <laughs> you know, better, better than the plan that, that we can think of. Uh, but fortunate it worked out that football's great, but it's really playing football as long as I did the, the friendships, you know, the friends you make while you're playing football, it's a special kind of bond. Um, Football's a hard game. It's it's a hard game, so it really does help you develop uh, character and sort of the way that I approached football. It's it's the way that I approach a lot of things in my life, my my, my marriage, my family, uh, business. Uh, a lot of that. You, you know, there's those signs you'll see them like sometimes at a doctor's office or something. It's like everything I need to know about life I learned in kindergarten. It kind of goes back to those basics. Well, my, mine would be everything I need to know in life. I learned playing football, uh, and it seems to yeah, you know, it's, it's it's. I think it's working out okay. You might now. be the least Harvard person I've ever talked to already. Well, I'm only okay. interviewed. There's a compliment. Thank you. Especially Usually people from Harvard don't come out and say I learned everything I need to know in kindergarten. So I already like you quite a bit. I'm sure that's probably a shared sentiment. And. Uh, it's so cool to hear you talk about family and, of course, your faith, too. I know you mentioned John Harbaugh, a Catholic guy. I think with people like C.J. Stroud has been very outspoken, and even the media has tried their best to basically hide it. Uh, when you were in football, was there kind of a strong Christian Catholic element in a lot of the people you were playing with or like other people in the league? Really strong Christian element. Not a ton of Catholics, um, but... Uh... Yeah, I mean, definitely. People are surprised when I tell them that the locker room is a very spiritual place, and you know, because football's hard. It's hard. The NFL is a crazy thing. You know, I think as as human beings, we're we're built in the image and likeness of God for beauty, goodness, and truth. And we know when we know when things aren't real. And you know, as much as, as much as you try, you want to believe the hype in the NFL, and you want to believe that you're as good as they say you are, and that you're worth all the money they're paying you. You know, deep down, you know. And you have these high highs and low lows, and you know you're you're always you're always yearning for for what's real. And so, um, every team I played on had a team chaplain that was there all the time. Three out of the four head coaches I played for were Catholic, so we had Catholic mass on Saturday night or Sunday morning in the hotel. And uh, yeah, I say there's not a lot of Catholics, so at the, like at the same time that Catholic mass would be going on, they'd have a Bible study or fellowship service for the for the Protestants and, um, you know, the Bible study would have 30 or 40 guys in it. The Catholic mass would have like me and maybe one other player. And then like eight coaches, you know, <laughs> <So> the coaches, <laughs> coaching staffs are Catholic, but no, it's, I mean, lots of Bible studies during the week, couple different Bible studies, like at lunch, a uh, couple's Bible study Thursday nights. It's, you know, it's probably one of the few places where you're actually encouraged to grow in your faith. So you would, yeah, you would never know it. The media never talks about it, but Christianity really is part of the football culture. Yeah. And you got to play with Justin Tucker, right? 
Yeah, yeah, Tug was a rookie or the year we won the Super Bowl. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, there was actually, I mean, there's some humongous names in that 2008 Super Bowl, guys like Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Joe Flacco, other side, you got Kaepernick and Randy Moss was still playing. I mean, yeah. names that you would think like don't even fit together, but uh, what a crazy game. Uh, when you were preparing for the Super Bowl, uh, what was that process like as someone, I mean, that was towards the end of your career, so you'd never really, I guess, experienced it up until the end. Uh, what was uh, What was that experience like for you? Well, it's crazy. You know, it's such a big thing. And I played 15 years and didn't get there till my last year. And I was pretty sure it was going to be my last game. So, you know, you talk about the culmination of a lot of things. And, and you know, I mean, obviously, there's a ton of pressure. And so that week or those two weeks leading up to the game, I didn't I didn't watch any news. I didn't listen to the radio. Um, and I just tried to make the game as as small as I possibly could, meaning like, I didn't think about playing in the Super Bowl. I just thought, you know, going out there as I was practicing and during the game, I was just thinking, just execute your fundamentals. You know, just execute the the, the things that you practice every single day that I've practiced every single day for for 15 years. You know, snapping the football, taking a good first step, getting my head where it was supposed to be, getting my hands inside. I mean, these are basics that you talk about with fourth graders that are playing football. It's the same thing, and. uh I just wanted to. I just wanted to focus on that versus trying to, um, just versus trying to wrap my head around how big the moment was and think about that and think about what's it going to be like if we win, what's it going to be like if we lose. You know, just really trying to be where my feet were at at, at the given time. And uh, and I'll be honest too. I mean, there's when that game's over. There's some relief. You're like, okay. <laughs> Especially if you win and everything that comes with that, then it's a great moment and you get to share with your family and friends and, and your teammates, but there's relief just because, just because the enormity of the, of, of the stage. Uh, so yeah. And you know, I'll tell you what, I, I, I can remember every game I played and I remember plays. I mean, I'll talk with guys, things that happened 20 years ago. I can remember a play. I can remember what a guy said in the huddle. I can't remember much during the Super Bowl. I, I mean, I don't think ever in my life, maybe I'd ever been so in the moment of something well, really lost in the moment, which is, which is a good, it's a good way to live. Well, uh, here, let me, let me test you then. So, I mean, the lights went out and so the Ravens were pounding the 49ers at that point. And it felt like there was a real momentum shift, kind of got the 49ers almost back in the game. I'm not a conspiracy guy, maybe a little bit, I don't know, but <laughs> what, what was, uh, what was that like when the lights shut off? Do you remember anything from that? Well, yeah. So I'm, what I remember is when the lights went out, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, the lights went out. This is so weird. What's going on? And we were just like, because like I said, you're so locked in. It was just, when are the lights coming back out? What do we know? Okay. For, they said, I remember John Harbaugh saying it's going to be about 45 minutes. I said, okay, great. So let's stay loose. Let's drink water, whatever. You're not talking a lot during the game to anybody. I mean, yeah, sometimes it's, uh, during a regular season game, you joke around, you but you're just locked in. And so I was like, okay, 45 minutes. Again, you're not trying to put into context how ridiculous it is that we're at the Super Bowl and, you know, a, a circuit breaker blew or something. You, you, you don't, you don't go there. You just, you just stay, you just stay in that moment and stay, stay focused. Um, so yeah, again, it's just kind of, I don't know. It was, it was almost an out of body experience for me. And I think, I think a lot of guys would say the same thing. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, also, the, the the Jason Kelsey, maybe the Kelsey family phenomenon, uh, has really brought a lot of spotlight on the offensive line, I think, maybe for the first time ever. It's kind of a thing, thankless position, but it's 
got a lot of media attention as of late. Um, was that something that you appreciated about your position or were frustrated that maybe you didn't get as much thanks because you were on the line as maybe yeah. you thought you should have had? No, no, I liked it. You know, playing offensive line, anybody who's ever done it, um, yeah, it's just personality-wise. I mean, if if you want a lot of attention and accolades, offensive line probably isn't for you. Um, there's something really satisfying and special, you know, if you play a game and you and and the offensive line plays well, and everybody's talking about, oh, the quarterback threw for 300 yards, the running back rushed for 100 and scored two touchdowns, and them getting the credit. There's something special about just you and your guys knowing that. Um, I mean, you're happy. You're you're totally happy for your teammates 100 percent. they deserve it i mean they've they got a hard job too but there's something kind of satisfying knowing that you're the only guys that know uh how well you played um you get to kind of appreciate what you accomplished as a group and nobody's really patting you on the back nobody's really talking about it on on the radio or or on the tv um kind of makes it more special in uh in that way. So no, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lineman through and through, uh, just want to just show up for work and just tell me what we're going to do. And, and, uh, and, you know, we'll try to do it the best we can. It's not going to be perfect, but it won't be for a lack of trying. And we'll come back tomorrow and we'll try to do it better. What's something about playing on the offensive line that the casual observer wouldn't understand? Like something that most people don't understand. I mean, Listen, there, there's there's not a better group of guys in the O line. I mean, I know quarterbacks and wide receivers, and you know they they look cool. I mean, they everyone thinks like, oh, that's that that'd be really cool. You know, dress in custom clothes and and uh, and show up, and they talk about who you're dating, they're married to. <laughs> the O line, man, it's 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 the best. You 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 eat basically whatever you want. Um, you, you can dress. You know, you wear jeans and a t-shirt. Uh, because that's all that really fits you. You don't look good in anything, so you don't care. Uh, we got the best wives because our wives are, you know, they, they really do love us. They marry you for you, yeah. Yeah, you're 320 pounds. It's not like you look good with your shirt off. I mean, it's it and and nobody. I mean, here's the thing about alignment. Yeah, everyone kind of looks at you like just a bunch of ofi guys, whatever. Like nobody makes fun of the O line and and the team because O line guys were the, were the quickest. Were the sharpest with comebacks, like yeah, you know, guys would show up all the time and they try to make fun of the O line, and we're like we're like a pack of wolves. And when it comes to when it comes to making fun of each other, like no, like guys learn real quick. You just move on to the D line. Those guys are dumb, but don't come over here to the O line part of the locker room and try to try to think like you're gonna you're gonna get a win because because you ain't. Yeah, that's awesome, and I, and I bet you like you you play with guys like Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, and I mean I have to ask. Was Ray Lewis as crazy as he looked on the field? Like, what was it like hanging out with him uh, behind the scenes? You know, Sundays Ray Ray had created this character that he kind of had to live up to, and it was it was awesome, man. It was it was so hype in Baltimore when you were on the field, and they'd introduce Ray, and he had smoke and fire, and you know he'd do the dance. I mean, the place would just go bananas. That was fun. But Monday through Saturday, Ray was like the most chill guy there was, and. Really, what part of what made Ray Lewis so great and such a great leader? He really was a great leader. Was nobody got made fun of more than Ray in the locker room, and he took it like a champ. I mean, he loved it. He loved it when uh, when guys made fun of him because yeah, he'd do like crazy commercials or 
doing goofy stuff on the field, barking like a dog. And, oh man. And, and he was, he was, he was just one of the guys, you know, and the outside looks like, oh, it's Ray's team. Everybody does what he says, which, which we did, but Ray didn't, Ray didn't carry himself like that. You know, he, he was one of the guys and he understood that he was no more or less important than anybody else. If we were going to accomplish our goal, our team goal, which was to win a world championship, you need, you need all 53 guys, uh, to win a world championship. You can't do it with just one or two superstars. Yeah, for sure. And you guys had, of course, some showdowns with the Patriots over the years and probably the dynasty yeah. of, of your era. Uh, do you Are you willing to put the Chiefs in the Patriots conversation at this point in time, or do you feel like there's some more work that needs to be done? Well, there's, I mean, there's some more work. I mean, you know, but the Patriots, you know, you got to remember Patriots dynasty was over, you know, they won their first Super Bowl in 01, and then there was a, I'll say a drought. <laughs> they won three Super Bowls, but <laughs> they didn't win another one for like 10 years. So 10 or 11 years, I think. So, um, it, it's approaching that, you know, and Patrick Mahomes, I think he's 28 years old. If he wins, if they win this one, uh, and you look at the trajectory that his career is on, you know, it's certainly, it's certainly possible. You know, you start talking like Patrick Mahomes has a chance to, and the Chiefs have a chance to eclipse Tom Brady and the, and the Patriots, or at least be, be in the conversation. Um, so it, it's getting interesting. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm older than you. Uh, when I grew up, Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player ever. And then it took a long time really before legitimate contender to that title came around with LeBron James. And listen, I'm just going to tell everybody, if, if you don't know this, you need to know it. LeBron James isn't as good as Michael Jordan was. He, anyone thinks LeBron <laughs> James is the best ever says that because they're under 40 and they never saw Michael Jordan. <laughs> but you can have the conversation. Um, you know, you it took, but it took a while. I mean, here we are. Tom Brady just retired a year ago, and you know we're right on the doorstep of having a legitimate conversation about another guy. So it's you know it's 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 fun. I mean, Patrick Rose, he's a fun guy to watch. It seems like he he's uh, that he's a great. Obviously, he's a great player. Seems like he's a great teammate. You know, he works hard. He does everything the right way, which you have to if you're going to be the best for a sustained period of time. But yeah, that's kind of I think what we're the story of this Super Bowl is if the if the Chiefs do win. Um, now, now we're talking about, uh, could this, could this be the greatest dynasty in, in sports? And it's a, it's legitimate conversation. Can I get you on record with prediction? Um, listen, I was so impressed with how the chiefs really just kind of controlled the entire game against my Ravens. You know, Ravens were just steamrolling everybody and they went into Baltimore and got it done. And the week before that, they went into Buffalo and got it done. And so, yeah, I just don't know. I mean, you know, we, we probably make we make too much of the quarterback position. And when I say we make too much of it, it's uh they get too much credit and, and too much blame. But it it is the most important position. And obviously there's talent on all over both rosters. But if you're telling me it's Patrick Mahomes versus Brock Purdy, who's got the edge? It's Patrick Mahomes. And the way that the Chiefs are winning now, it's not how the Chiefs were winning five years ago with this super explosive offense. Um, they're winning because they're controlling the football. A lot of it due to Patrick Mahomes and short passes or him scrambling and, and keep the chains moving and, and really, really good defense. And so just with, with everything that I've seen this, this postseason, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to bet against Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I think I'll, I'll join you there, unfortunately. So one thing that I really admire about you, Matt, is, uh, 
even during the time where you were a football player, and I guess maybe this has become more clear to me in talking to you about your offensive lineman personality, but uh, when it comes to Catholic faith and convictions, uh, you really didn't shy away from how that uh, actually impacts how you live your life. Uh, and of course, a, a Walter Payton Man of the Year Award winner, uh, by all marks, a fantastic character. But uh, one thing that always comes to mind with Super Bowl is the visit afterwards. And, and you chose actually not to visit uh, President Obama after support of Planned Parenthood. And of course, with pro-life views, you spoke at the March for Life and things like that. Why did you feel it was important for you um, to do both of those things, not just not visit and then how you handled that situation, but also then speak at the March for Life? Well, specifically, uh, yeah, after we won the Super Bowl and President Obama was the first president, sitting president to address Planned Parenthood. And at the end of his speech, he said, God bless Planned Parenthood. And, you know, certainly I can, I can respect other people's viewpoints, even if I don't agree with them. But when you go that far, when you say God bless Planned Parenthood, um, that's, you know, that's hundred percent wrong. God's not blessing Planned Parenthood. Um, so he, he did that. And then two days later, the invitation shows up at my house for the white house. And I just thought, well, you know, um, of course I was upset and I just thought, well, this is, this is a way for me to, um, live out my faith and just be you know, personally, it wasn't like a sacrifice or anything. Like I just didn't, I didn't want to go after he said that. And, uh, and that was it. I just checked no on the box and sent the invitation back. And, uh, but then the day that the Ravens went to the white house, I was the only guy that wasn't there and media was calling me and, and asking me why, what happened. And, First, I sort of tried to just deflect, but then I was like, you know, I don't have anything to be ashamed of or run and hide from. So I told him why I didn't go and just thought that'd be the end of it, you know? Uh, but that's, then it kind of blew up, you know, do a 24 hour news story. And I was doing, I was on Fox and I was on CNN and doing all that stuff. And so, um, yeah, God works in mysterious ways. Uh, because of that, then got invited to go speak at the March for Life and, uh, have, have a couple of times. And, um, sort of, I guess, you know, that's, that's morphed into me doing, working with a lot of pregnancy centers, doing a lot of speaking on behalf of the unborn throughout the country. So it's like, yeah, I said earlier, right. God's got a plan for your life and it's better than anything you could imagine. It's, it's just absolutely fantastic from a standpoint of, you know, I get to meet lots of amazing faith-filled people who are getting no notoriety. Um, but they're, they're, doing the things that they're doing, working the places they're working, devoting their lives to causes uh, for the kingdom. And that's just so inspirational for me to, to meet these people and to be around them. And um, so, yeah, it's just kind of how it all, how it all happened. And, uh, you know, just, I guess, just grateful that, uh, you know, grateful that that's how it's gone. Yeah. And you, you, you did pretty well during your NFL career. I mean, you're not really hurting for money. Uh, and and you still chose to run for office in Minnesota. W was that event and your personal convictions uh, connected to uh, your foray into politics? Well, I don't think you do it for money. Although I don't know, a lot of these politicians end up accumulating a lot of wealth. I don't know. Nancy Pelosi's doing yeah. pretty well. Yeah. Well, maybe that's 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 uh, U.S. office, not not state office. No, you know that. Again, that was another thing where I live in Minnesota, and um, I mean, last couple of years things have been really tough in Minnesota. Um, not just not just the pandemic. And those things, but uh, we had the George Floyd uh, incident and riots up here, and just I'm proud of Minnesotan. Didn't like the direction that our state was headed. Our schools aren't doing very well. Our kids aren't doing very well. Crime is up. I mean, all these things. And there's this guy Scott Jensen who 
was uh, just a private citizen, and he decided to run for governor. And uh, I thought, well, here's a good man who's sacrificing a lot, who's putting himself at risk. He's a doctor, and since he, once he ran for office, he's had his medical license uh, investigated five times by the state of Minnesota. But he's sure coincidence, right? Yeah, yeah. He's won all five, by the way. He's five and zero. But I saw what he was doing, and I admired it. And then. just so happened one day I was on a plane and he was on the plane. And so we were talking and uh, he asked me if I was going to run for governor. And I said, no. And he told me he was. And I, uh, I said, I'd like to support him because I think it, thinking generally speaking in politics, we just, we need less career politicians, more private citizens who have been successful in, in whatever their line of work is uh, to go in and, you know, fix things to run government like a business. And so I started supporting Scott, and then I, I saw that there was a real movement happening. I saw that everyday people were getting behind him. Um, I saw that people had been hurt the last few years by the government, by the mandates that they had imposed. Um, and I mean, I mean, really hurt, like wounds that will never heal, um, lost things that, that were taken from them wrongfully. And then Scott says, hey, what do you think about running for lieutenant governor with me? And I said... Absolutely not. I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a politician. I'm not going to do that. But then a month later, he came back and asked again. And we had a long talk and we went out with our wives and talked it over. And I said, okay, you know, this is, this is what we feel called to do. Um, don't know if we'll win or not. Of course, I, th- I thought we'd win, but um, I don't like to play games that I think I'm going to lose. <laughs> um, but uh, thought, you know, that we were, God was calling us to do this. And we ran a heck of a campaign. We had a ton of fun. Uh, met a lot of great people, but um, you know, ultimately we didn't uh, we didn't win, which is which is okay. You know, it's not our it's not our job to be successful. It's just our job to be faithful. And um, people ask me all the time, "You going to run again?" And I says, "I say I'm going to run away." But <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I never I never say never. It's not something that like I would necessarily choose or or it's on my on my list of life goals but you know i just try to stay open to what god's will is and try to discern that and um yeah we'll we'll see so i I mean i love how simple and true that answer you've given many times with this podcast is is just discerning god's will uh it's really beautiful how do you personally how have you been able to personally discern god's will throughout your life and listen to what he's really trying to tell you well, let me first of all say I'm I'm not uh, I'm not 100 percent on that, uh, but um, you know, I don't start, think anyone is. It starts with a, with a strong spiritual life and interior life. Um, gosh, I don't know. It was maybe we're probably talking 10 years ago now. You know, I I, I took up a, a holy hour every week, and uh, in today's world, with all the noise and with how busy we all are and connected and overscheduled. Um, you know, I, I just, I don't know how anybody survives without that, to tell you the truth, to get, to get one hour in front of the blessed sacrament where, where you can sit there and, tr- and just, just listen, you know, just, or try to listen to see if God is speaking to you or bring, bring these decisions to prayer. Um, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just essential. You know, I'm always, I'm always shocked, right? Like, I mean, you read some of the things that Fulton Sheen wrote about, about the noise and the busyness and, and how important, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, we're, everybody's so busy. We don't have time for God anymore. 
And then you realize he wrote that like 70 years ago. I mean, if those, <laughs> words, if those words were true 70 years ago, they're like 1 million percent true now. Um, yeah. But I think that's the biggest thing. You know, the devil wants to, he's got a lot of tactics. One of them is to keep us busy. Um, and so, you know, I'm busy, you're busy, everybody's busy. We've got jobs and family and friends and especially if you got kids. I have eight kids, you know, wife, like there's, there's a lot of demands, but, uh, but you got to keep first things first and you got to keep your priorities straight. Otherwise, you know, you just, you just get a little bit off the path, but if you stay off the path, you know, if you're two degrees off course, but you do that for a long time, you're, you're way off target. And so that's what I really love about, um, it can really, I guess, lean into with the Catholic faith is we have all these things at our disposal. You know, we have obviously have the mass, we have the rosary and confession and adoration and I mean, we, we even have the, the saints, you know, we've got the, the Catholic hall of fame, um, that we can look at for inspiration. <laughs> and it's like, you know, we just, we just need to keep practicing these. You just practice the, it's like football. You just practice these fundamentals over and over and over and over again, good times, bad times. It doesn't matter. You get into those habits and that routine. And it's just really about doing the fundamentals. We talked about the Super Bowl earlier. You know, I didn't go out there and just say like, okay, we're going to, I'm going to go make this happen and we're going to win the Super Bowl. I leaned on my fundamentals and said, that's like, that's my job. My job here is to execute the fundamentals and then the, and then the results will take care of themselves. And so often in life we get focused on results and we forget one, there's a lot, of, there's a lot, when it comes to the results, we can't control a lot of it, you know, but we can control the process and we can, we can control the time and effort that we put into things. So you know, to be, to be Catholic, to be a, to be a good Catholic or a great Catholic, it doesn't take any talent. <laughs> it just takes, it just takes time and effort. So for a low talent guy like me, that really, that really speaks to me. <laughs> yeah. And you, you slid this in, you have eight kids. Congratulations. That's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, Thank maybe you. this is the O-line advantage, but I don't think ESPN made any graphics like they did for uh, Philip Rivers when he had, I saw some like ESPN graphics of like nine kids and like he's got his own team and all that. And like, maybe you slid by or it was a different era, but I always laugh thinking of Phil getting a hard time about that. I know he came to the Colts at the end of his career. He was living yeah. kind of close and, uh, but yeah, he was always a great, you know, his trash talk. I don't know if you ever got trash talk by oh. Phil, but he's got never great got trash him. talk. Oh yeah. There's some, there's some great stuff of him, him mic'd up and, uh, yeah, yeah, you know that, that, that's the thing too. I remember one time I had a coach, uh, my old line coach Steve Loney, and he said to us, he said, you know, he said a lot of people think if you're Christian that that means like you're soft, like you can't be a great football player if you're a great Christian, and uh, you know that that sounds kind of funny to say, but he's he's absolutely right. I mean, Philip had a had an edge, had a chip on his shoulder. Um, that you know was was surpassed by nobody and and his trash talking was absolutely brilliant um that was that was part of it you know you you can be you can be a we talk about being a competitor we used to call them all day jessies you can be an all day jesse and, and love the lord in fact you know if, if you're doing everything for the lord right you should be you should be the, the fiercest competitor out there uh but yeah i don't know how we all got kind of psyoped into thinking that christians have to be these kind of meek uh, nobody's like yeah. you have to just lay down all the time. Yeah, uh, no, we're, we're we're meek and docile when it comes to the Lord, but uh, now when it comes to playing football or doing or, yeah. or doing anything else, I mean, if you know, football, right? Your job's to win. 
uh, you want to win. So you go out there and you do whatever you can to, to do that. Yeah. Can I ask, because offensive linemen, I mean, you guys got, I, mean, I don't want to see your hands right now. I'm sure you probably got some hands nice good. scars. Okay. Yeah. The hands are looking good. Yeah. I just know there's a lot of, you've gone through injuries. I know that it's in football, it's, there's injuries, but especially on the line, I feel like it's a lot of nicks and tears. And I'm sure you had some moments of tribulation in your career. Uh, did you have a specific saint or inspiration or devotion that really helped you get through those times of suffering? Someone that you look to? Uh, not, not a specific saint, but I, I, you know, not to over dramatize it, but, um, you know, I write, I like being a, being a Catholic, we know that there's, that there's dignity and meaning in suffering. And I mean, we can all feel sorry for ourselves and believe me, professional football players are no different. Uh, a lot of people don't want to hear it and I don't blame them, but I think you're in a lot of pain. You know, Monday mornings you wake up and your foot hits the floor sometimes and it's like, I'm going to need a minute to kind of do a systems check here and make sure I can make it to the bathroom. Um, and, but, uh, but, but to kind of, you know, stop, um, and, and not kind of spiraling into that self-pity mode. Um, I mean, I'd always remind myself of that. Remind myself, you know, one, how fortunate I am. You know, I am healthy. This is, this is kind of self-inflicted pain that I'm putting myself through and I'm getting paid millions of dollars to do it. So it's, so it's not so bad, but, um, you know, there, there is something about going through that and, and offering it up and, and, um, and, you know, kind of that, that, uh, uh, mortification, if you will. Um, and, uh, because, you know, pain, pain's a, it, it's a fact of football and, and, and it's a fact of life too. I mean, there's, you know, you're going to go through physical pain, emotional pain, what, what, uh, whatever, whatever it may be. And so it really does, I think it does, if you, if you view it and use it the right way, it can help you, um, detach from yourself and, um, and, and, and you can grow spiritually with that. Um, yeah. And you know, listen, it's, I, I mean, I'd be lying too. If I said though, like, you're like, okay, it's Monday or it's Friday and I still feel like garbage. I, I got to find a way to get out there on Sunday. So like you're, you're, you're pulling everything out of the bag of tricks to fool yourself into thinking <laughs> so that smelling salts. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it takes some kind of cream, some guy got, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm sure I'll try it, you know, anything. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, and maybe this is a personal question because you're on the other side of the lens, obviously. And I, I got to enjoy this kind of magic run from the Detroit Lions, being a Lions fan my whole life. I had three generations of my family watching the first playoff win of my life. Uh, but then the second one, too. I mean, just stuff that hasn't happened since Barry Sanders that even before that, you know, we thought we might go to the Super Bowl, all that. I think that football sometimes gets a rap of, maybe taking up too much space in people's heads, especially on Sunday. Like it's almost like a golden calf of uh, America. Uh, and I personally, I'd like to hear your perspective on it because I feel like there's so many positives in terms of like bringing people together, what it can do for a city. Um, what would you say to maybe proper balance or what football should mean to people? What did it mean to you when you were in Minnesota, when you were in Baltimore? What were some of the the best parts of the positives that you felt it brought to people well, in America. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, it's a balance, right? The NFL, it's, it's kind of a civic religion and, uh, it's on Sundays. I mean, most of it. Um, and so it's certainly right. You, you, like there has to be to temperance has to be exercised because I, I mean, I love football. I can get sucked in and, uh, some Sundays, you know, it's always on and I'll find myself, I'm, I should be doing something with you know, with this kid over here, I should cut the grass or whatever, but the game's on and I get sucked in. And next thing I know it's, you know, it's an hour later. 
Um, but the good things, no, I think there's a lot of good things. Uh, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, we'd, we'd run home from church and uh, we'd get in front of the TV. I mean, we had one TV. We'd get in front of the TV, my brothers and my dad and I, we'd watch the Vikings. That was really the only game we had. So you, re- you really, there was almost like a, an imposed limit. You're only going to watch one game or you only followed your team. Now everybody follows everybody because of fantasy football and betting and all that. But, um, you know, it brought us together. It was a way for us to, to hang out. I've heard that from men and women talk about that's how they, that's what they did on Sundays as, as a family. Uh, it does, it, it does unite a city, right? Uh, regardless of, uh, beliefs or political parties when a team's winning, you know, it's, it's fun. There's just a, there's just a vibe in a, in a city that you get behind their team. I can't imagine what Detroit was like this year. I mean, it's the best. Probably they're <laughs> like, what is this feeling we're having? It's, it's joy for the lions. This is weird. Um, yeah. One, one of my good friends, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to know him, uh, father Joe Krupp, uh, out of Lansing or Flint. And, uh, he's great on social media. You gotta follow, uh, father Joe Krupp. Um, he tweets about that a lot, and he was just like, "This is so weird. I'm fifty some years old, and I've never experienced this. I think it's called winning." Um, <laughs> but no, there's there's a lot of good there. But uh, like anything, there is there is balance. It was funny. We watched this past Sunday. We watched uh, the entire Ravens game, my family and I. And I never sit there and watch the entire game. And when it was over, I said, "Man, that's a long time to just sit in front of the TV and watch a game." Um, and then there was another game. I couldn't even, I didn't even watch the Lions 49ers game until like the fourth quarter because I was just footballed out and I had a bunch of stuff I had to get done too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it, you know, it, it is, it is that balance, but, uh, no, it's a, it's a special thing. Um, you know, I think you can, you can definitely, definitely use it for, for good. Um, but you, but you have to be careful. Otherwise it, otherwise it turns into, to something that's, it's indulgent. Yeah, for sure. And from being in the Super Bowl, uh, winning Super Bowl to seeing the Super Bowl now. That was back in 2008. We're talking about... 2012. 2000, I'm sorry, 2012. Right. My apologies. Uh, and then now we're in 2024. Uh, what has remained the same and what has changed to you about football and the Super Bowl from those years? Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it certainly gets a little bit bigger every year somehow, some way. Um, but... But it's, I mean, back then, back then, 11 years ago, it was, it was the biggest thing then. And it's the biggest thing now. Um, it just seems like every year it gets a little bit less and less about football and more about all the other stuff that's going on. Um, whether it be, you know, the halftime show or, um, you know, uh, who's dating the world's biggest pop star or, you know, whatever. (laughs) Right. I mean. Yeah, I don't know. Somehow it, it it's almost like this beast, right? That just has to keep eating and get a little bit bigger um, every year. But uh, you know what, what? What I enjoy is at the end of the day, um, you get to sit down and watch and watch football. And being someone who's just a huge sports fan and enjoying the the you know sports is it's the original and the best reality TV. Um, and so. The great thing about the NFL is it's it's the playoffs are a one game tournament, and so you know that like at the end of this one game, there's going to be a someone's be able to call themselves world champion. And on the other side, it's it's the thrill of victory, and then it's also the agony of defeat because not that I would know from firsthand experience, but knowing guys have lost the Super Bowl, you know it's 
it's something you don't really ever get over to be that close to the pinnacle. Nobody ever talks about, man, remember that great whatever team they were, they were runners up. Nobody ever talks about yep. that. And so it's kind of this all or nothing proposition. Um, just that the game itself and the, the human drama that goes along with it. Um, I, I, you know, I enjoy that the most. And that still is what at the end of the day, at the end of all the 29 hours of pregame and everything else that's going on, who performs at the halftime, it's really, it's really about that. And, um, you know, and then after a week or so, then they just start talking about next year and <laughs> they talk about the draft that's, and free agency. I'm used to talking about the draft in like December. Yeah. So this was a pretty great year to be watching meaningful football in December. <laughs> talking about the draft. Uh, yeah. But Matt, if, if people want to uh, continue to follow you, support your work, I know you do a lot of work with pregnancy resource centers and a lot of awesome charitable work. Where can they help follow you and support you? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, Matt Burke and company.com. That's just our website. Uh, I am on the Twitter a little bit. Um, I would like to talk about one thing I'm doing for, for, uh, for Super Bowl. So you see these beautiful bags behind me. Um, I'm with a company called heritage gear. We make premium licensed goods. We have NFL, we have like 55 colleges products made right here in the USA. We make these beautiful bags that have the American flag on them. I should have one, but we didn't, we didn't talk about this, but, um, (laughs) So uh, I'm really big into supporting military veterans. My, my father's a veteran. I'm a proud American. And uh, one in six of our veterans is food insecure, which is really unacceptable. And so we've partnered with uh, the Robert Irvine Foundation. Robert's a worldwide celebrity chef, uh, New York Times bestseller, crazy guy. He's like all jacked up and he's got a ball of energy. He's nuts. But his foundation actually supports hungry veterans. And so if you go to heritagegear.com, we have this Chefs for Vets campaign going on right now, heritagegear.com. Any bag you buy, and every every bag that we sell on the website between now and Valentine's Day, uh, the proceeds are going to go to the Robert Irvine Foundation. And uh, it's we've, we've done this before, and it's worked really well. And I hope anybody listening would, would go, just go to our website and check out the products and see if there's something for you or for your for your sweetheart for Valentine's Day or whatever. But you're gonna uh, you're gonna support a great cause. You know, Super Bowls like this ultimate day of leisure for us Americans. Um, so it's a good time to pause and remember those less fortunate and, and especially remember our servicemen and women who we don't appreciate enough. We don't say thank you enough. And it's, 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 we, we know all the issues that some of them have, uh, but hunger is a dumb, it's a dumb problem because all it takes is money to solve. We don't have to come up with a cure. Or it's, it's not like some of these other ailments. It just takes money and, and a dollar goes a long way in the fight against hunger. So Buy a bag, feed a vet at heritagegear.com. Yeah, and I'll drop that in the link. And the bags behind you are sweet. I like that. The Notre Dame one is clean. I'm gonna yeah, Notre Dame's good. You got check the old out Patriots the... one. I think Michigan's yeah, yeah. down there. But uh, yeah, about 55 colleges, NFL, and, and Major League Baseball coming out this year, too. And everything, Ooh, yeah. everything's made right here in America. Awesome. Yeah, those are clean. We'll definitely get that out to everyone in the loop. But Matt, Matt Burke, thank you so much for taking the time to join. You're a busy guy. And, uh, Really appreciate it hearing your story. Hey, I love the loop. I've got the mug because I turned on 10 people to the loop. Uh, somehow, some way I came across it and I was like, this is fantastic. I tell people, there's all sorts, you get your news from everywhere. All you need to do is subscribe to the loop and go through it every day. And in five minutes, you're you're good to go. So I, I appreciate all the work that, that's going on over there in Catholic Vote and just so important. So, so important in today's day and age. And uh, we urge everybody to to support that as well. Well, man, I might have to hire you to uh, make the pitch for the loop full time because I'll be, that's I'll be, better I'll than be the I, hype I man. I'll be the hype man. <laughs> yeah. 
That sounds good. Sounds good. All right, Matt. Uh, thanks for coming on and hopefully talk to you soon. My pleasure, Tom. Thanks.